fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. Woo, this is the second time we filmed this. I looked at Hannah like 20 minutes in. I said, Hannah, it's not recording. Which is great news for us. Which and if because we were doing a great job, we were doing a great job. Even though I already said I have a migraine, Hannah is running on no sleep. But here we are, spooky times. Got to talk about spooky stuff. And we won't say her name, but S I R I. She she screwed us over last time. Don't yeah. don't say anything close to that word, or I else was, she I, turns off the computer. Don't I, say it. I know, but I was getting on to Theodore, and I said, "Excuse me, S I R," and she thought I was saying S I R I. And then she I. cut off our whole podcast. And she did it. She's. A Mm, 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 mm. so here we are we're back and for the second time we're gonna tell you the origins of the story of sleepy hollow the The legend legend of sleepy hollow yes it's a classic Mm -hmm. many of you may have heard it before you got the disney version you do you got the tim burton with your man johnny not your man my man johnny right that's right Mm -hmm. i um in college i told Lacey this already i'll tell you guys again in college my favorite class was called masterpiece theater and Uh we would read the classic literature and then watch movie versions of it and we would write like a compare and contrast essay and i remember writing about that version of the legend hollow i don't remember i need to dig up the essay and read it yeah i don't remember next episode I really I, it, that was a it was a fascinating class. So I don't I don't remember all the details. That was that was a couple of years ago. But the Legend of Sleepy Hollow it often comes back up around Halloween. Makes sense. You may have seen some Halloween decorations that are inspired by the headless horseman. Mm-hmm. This was a story that was written in 1820 by Washington Irving. The story is set at, or it's about a headless horseman who terrorizes a real life village of Sleepy Hollow in New York. So we got to go. Yeah. In case you forgot kind of more of the intricate details of the story, if you only remember the Headless Horseman part, we'll give you a little summary here. So the main character's name is Ichabod Crane, and he is attempting to win the heart of Katrina Van Tassel. Now, Ichabod comes to Sleepy Hollow, New York, from his home state of Connecticut, so he's an outsider, and he comes to be the schoolmaster of the village there. I'm going to start calling you a schoolmaster. Thank you. I would appreciate that. Instead of a teacher. Thank you. Just don't call me Ichabod. Yeah. So Sleepy Hollow is this small, very quiet town, and it is sometimes said to be under some kind of enchantment or spell. All of the residents seem to move a little bit slower, they daydream a little more, and they are also prone to believe more in the supernatural. Sounds like somewhere I need to go live. Yes, I think you would love it there. And this town is supposedly haunted by, you guessed it, the Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman is seen most often riding by the church where local historians said he was buried and he was there because he was searching for his head. Like, I think it's been enough time, bud. I don't think they yeah, can sew that back on. Yeah, I don't think they're going to find how it. That works. So Ichabod is fascinated with this story as a newcomer into town. He's especially interested in tales of the supernatural, so he's in the right place. 
And he ends up, so he's a teacher at the school. He ends up falling in love with one of his students, Katrina Van Tassel. But he isn't the only one in love with her. There's a man by the name of Braun Von Brunt who is also interested in her. So he's more of your, like, the macho guy. He's the Gaston. Yes, he's the Gaston. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then Ichabod is the more kind of, like, skinny, nerdy person. Love triangle here. Yes. Most people forget that part of the story. So Braun has already scared off a lot of Katrina's other suitors, um, but Ichabod is a little bit harder to shake because he avoids physical confrontation with Braun, which is his main method of intimidation. So without that option, Braum has their turn to his next best skill. So after intimidation, he is good at pranking people. Mm-hmm. At one point, he fills the schoolhouse with smoke. He trains a dog to follow Ichabod around howling. And he sets a bunch of other pranks up just to frustrate and try to humiliate Braum, or Ichabod. But Ichabod's used to it because his whole life Probably. he's named he's, Ichabod. Right. So he's already been the brand like, of I'm, joke. Used, I'm used to humiliation, so it's yeah. fine. But one night on the way home from a party at the Van Tassels, after he had been rejected by Katrina, the headless horseman terrorizes Ichabod on his way home. The horseman eventually throws his detached head at him, knocks him off his horse, and then he he goes missing. So the next day, Ichabod's horse returns to its owner's farm, but there's no sign of Ichabod. So the town sends out a search party to try to find him, but all they find are hoof prints and his hat and a smashed pumpkin left next to the hat. Yikes. And Ichabod is never heard from again. And it's kind of like, was it the Headless Horseman? Or was it or was, was it Bron? Bron, 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 Bron. Um, so you're left to, to decide for yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's a pick-your-own-ending type yep, story. It is. Leaves it a little bit open-ended. Yeah. So while the legend of Sleepy Hollow is considered one of America's first ghost stories, Washington Irvin didn't exactly invent the idea of the headless writer. Mm-mm. Neither did J.K. Rowling. You got the nearly headless Nick. No, nope, she wasn't the first there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one wasn't the first either. Yes. Tales of the Headless Horseman can actually be traced back to the Middle Ages, including stories from the Brothers Grimm, who we love, mm-hmm. and from Dutch and Irish legends of the Dullahan and the Gansian, which are these Grim Reaper-like writers who carry their heads. Yes. So we're going to tell you a little bit about the Dullahan, which is also, again, referred to as the Headless Horseman. But this is a type of fae from Irish folklore. Mm-hmm. We did a whole episode on the fae and fairies, so you can go check that out. But this specific one is, it's headless, and uh, this headless it's a headless being, and it appears as a man or woman riding upon a black horse, and typically carrying its head underneath its arm. It's got to be skilled to right. ride the horse thought, with yeah, one that hand. Is, yeah, that is a little bit um, precarious. Mm-hmm. The head appears dead and rotten. Sometimes it's described as having flesh that resembles old cheese, which... Mm, you hate to see it. ...is a disgusting imagery there, but... Stinky. Yep. And it also usually has a demonic grin spread across its face from ear to ear. Of course. Mm-hmm. has to. has to. Let's think of your old jack-o'-lanterns. Mm-hmm. Now, the Dullahan also apparently carries a whip made from a human spine. Yeah. Um, sometimes it is pulling a wagon, which is decorated with funeral objects, things like candles and skulls that light the path, or spokes of wheels made from thigh bones, just a big old femur, mm-hmm. femur wheel. That's a big wheel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the wagon's covering is even made from dried human skin. Mm-hmm. 
Like a which, tarp, like jerky. Yes. Which that sounds more scary to me, honestly, than the horseman. Yes. When the Doolahan stops riding, according to legend, this is the, where the person is due to die. And when the per- Doolahan calls out the person's name, they apparently just immediately perish. Uh, that reminds me of scary, spooky uh, musical chairs. <laughs> You're just, he's riding and wherever he stops. That's, it's yeah. not a good thing. Yeah. Um, or I, like spin the bottle wherever it stops. <laughs> That's it. You get the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of in the Middle Ages, like the bring out your dead, the people with the carts. Mm-hmm. And if they stopped in front of your house, which anything death related in the Middle Ages is probably something related to the Black Plague. But yeah. I'm picturing like, which bring out the dead is Bonnie Python. But, mm-hmm. you know, he rolls the, the wagon up to your door and you just toss out the dead bodies. Yes. If he stops in front of your house, you're just like, yeah, well, it's my time. They're like, we don't have anybody dead here. He's like, yeah, you do. And you just like immediately <laughs> yeah. drop. So there's no way to prevent against the Dulahan coming. Um, there's You can't bar the roads. Locks will open. Gates will open whenever they approach. Mm-hmm. Um, they all they don't like being watched while they're doing their errands. So you're not you, you can't really block the roads from them and don't watch them if they're coming. Uh, if you do, they will throw a, a basin of blood on you. Yes. Which this then marks you as the next person who's going to die. Right. Or... They might lash out your eyes with their spine whips. Their spine whips? Mm-hmm. That would hurt. Mm-hmm. Or might take the bucket of blood. Mm-hmm. They are, the only kind of loophole to them is, however, they're frightened of gold. So even a single like gold pin can can drive them away. So if you lived in Ireland at this time and you believed in this, just, it would be real. Just get gold a, jewelry. Yeah. Or gold tooth. Or, yeah. Right. Or paint your house gold or something. We solved it for them. There you go. So there's a storyteller from the Mourn Mountains in County Down named W.J. Fitzpatrick. And you want to read this quote that he wrote? Yes. He said, oh, I'm, I don't have an Irish accent. I was trying to prepare for it. And I was just <laughs> I like, I'm not. I would love that. I seen the Dullahan myself stopping on the brow of the hill between Brian's Ford and M- Money Scout mm. late one evening, just as the sun was setting. It was completely headless, but it held up its own head in its hand. That doesn't make sense. And I heard it call out a name. I put my hand across my ears in case the name was my own, so I couldn't hear what it said. When I looked again, it was gone. But shortly afterwards, there was a bad car accident on that very hill, and a young man was killed. It had been his name that the Dulahan was calling. I like how this guy covers his ears, and it's just like the, if I can't hear You're, you, yeah. it doesn't count. <laughs> right. Like, this, I'm like little sure. kids, when they yep. cover their eyes, they think you can't, you can't see them. See, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm pretty sure. It's called not. object permanence. You don't gain that until you're like, I already forgot. But this guy was clearly mm-hmm. of age to mm-hmm. have that. Yeah. This is not how it works, man. So the origins of the Dulahan, okay, if we say the Dulahan inspired Headless Horseman, what inspired the Dulahan? Um, the origins of the Dulahan are not known for certain, but he is thought to be the embodiment of an ancient Celtic god named Cromdub or Cr- Black Cromdub. Oh, Cromdub or Black Crom. So uh, Crom was worshipped by the prehistoric king Tigermus who ruled in Ireland about 1,500 years ago and who legitimized human sacrifices to idols. There you go. Being a fertility god, um, the Black Crom would demand human lives every year, and the most favored method of sacrifice was... Old decapitation. Decapitation, yeah. So the worship of Crom continued in Ireland until the 6th century. 
when, and this is when Christian missionaries arrived from Scotland, they obviously denounced all such types of worship and under their influence, the old sacrifice, like sacrificial religions of Ireland kind of began to, to fade away and lose favor. Yeah. Nonetheless, though, Black Crom was not to be denied his annual quota for of souls and took on a physical form, which became known as the Dulahan, or this like tangible physical embodiment of death. Mm. So, so Crom became Dulahan. Dulahan became headless, headless horseman. horseman. Yep. Oh, I see. Elizabeth Bradley, a historian at historic uh, Hudson Valley says a likely source for Irving's horsemen can be found in Sir Walter Scott's 1796, The Chase, which is a translation of the German poem, The Wild Huntsman by Gottfried Berger, <laughs> and likely based on Norse mythology. So I don't know if you just like tracked that yeah. Walter Scott translated inspired by the German poem yeah. based in Norse mythology. Just yeah. It's down, a long Down the rabbit trail. hole. This poem is about a wicked hunter who is doomed to be hunted forever by the devil and the, quote, dogs of hell as punishment for his crimes. Right. So we go back to so some Norse mythology somewhere mm-hmm. back in there for you. Then according to the New York Historical Society, other people believe that Irving was inspired by an actual Hessian soldier. So Hessians were German troops called upon to aid in, in America's fight against the British and this particular Hessian was decapitated by a cannonball during the Battle of the White Plains around Halloween in 1776. That's why I can't find his head if he got smacked off by a I cannonball. Mean, it's in a field somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's not buried in the church, yeah. church graveyard. Like knocked it's, it the it's next state over. Pancaked. Yeah. So, and and really, he probably had more more than one inspiration. So maybe mm-hmm. there's a little bit of this like war history inspiration, and maybe a little bit of the Norse mythology combined into into yeah. one story. So as the story goes, the corpse of the beheaded Hessian was buried soon after his death at the old Dutch church in Sleepy Hollow near the small village of Terrytown, New York. And it was believed that the Hessian would arise at night in search of his head and anyone who was ill-fated enough to be visited by his apparition was condemned to death. So that's probably just a little spook spook Mm -hmm. folklore for you. Mm -hmm. Now... Some people were skeptical of this, obviously, and the skeptics of the supernatural could argue against the existence of the headless horsemen. But historical records show that there actually was a real decapitated Hessian soldier. I bet there was. Back so then, yeah, there probably was flying everywhere. Yeah, so there probably really was decapitated people in the war, but mm-hmm. their bodies didn't, you know, roam the or town. Or did they? Or did they? So in in his seventeen ninety eight memoir, Major General William Heath wrote. Quote, a shot from the American cannon at this place took off the head of a Hessian artilleryman. Or a couple of them. Yeah. So Because back then they just lined up and walked towards each other while they shot at each other and right. shot I, I don't I don't doubt that at all. That, yeah. that that actually happened and people witnessed that and saw decapitated bodies. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by that at all. According to the New York Historical Society. Urban also may have drawn inspiration for his story while a teenager in the Terrytown region. Mm-hmm. He moved to that area around 1798 to flee yellow, a yellow fever outbreak in New York City. So he was around there at around the same time. So Sleepy Paul is actually a place. It's, yes. It's less than an hour north of New York City. I think it didn't become been. an actual, like Terrytown was right next to Sleepy Hollow and Sleepy Hollow didn't become a legal like city until 1996. 
Oh, dang. Yeah. That's like recent. more recent than you think. <laughs> they because also, of the popularization of this story? Yeah. Yeah. Their ambulance has... AKA a, tourism. Yeah, right. Yeah. Their ambulance has a mural of the Headless Horseman scene on it, which is terrifying to me, but also what? very cool. Yeah. And then their high school, Sleepy Hollow High School's mascot is, is a Headless Horseman. I love that. That is so dope. I do love that. Yeah. Okay. I want to go like, visit mm-hmm. their school. I'm, not, I'm not, not so fond of the ambulance part, but... Yeah. The high school. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, living in this area at this time, Irving would have been familiar with the local ghost stories and folklore. And you can see in the story that he like very cleverly weaves together the factual locations um, with some of the fantasy stuff. So like he mentions the old Dutch church and the churchyard and all of that. Right. And you which, can go see all of those today. Which fun fact, you can also go see his um, his where he was buried because he yes. was buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. There it is. Yep. Besides having his fictional Sleepy Hollow village modeled off of the town of North Terrytown where he lived, he also enjoyed naming people and loosely basing um, his characters off of real-life people. Yeah, so, I think every writer does I'm that. Sh- yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, some claim that Ichabod was inspired by someone named Samuel Youngs, who was a, a lieutenant from Terrytown and was friends with the Von Tassel family. Yes, yeah, so the Von Tassel family was, was real. apparently real. Yeah. Katrina Von Tassel... Meanwhile, was Ichabod, who was, you know, Ichabod's unrequited love interest. She was presumably based on someone that Irving knew personally. Mm-hmm. Um, just, she was described as rather excessively by Irving as, quote, plump as a partridge mm. and ripe and melting and rosy cheeked as one of her father's peaches. Mm-hmm. Just a nice little plump, juicy little son of a gun. Yeah. And, and she's just apparently inspired, loosely inspired by a woman he knew named Eleanor von Tassel Brush. Yeah. So, so if you go to the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, those all those names are in there that are in the story. I wonder I wonder how she felt about being I think they wanted to be plump back then. Yeah, plump as a partridge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah maybe they like being a plump Yeah. I wish that was the case today. Yeah. Eat all the ice cream I wanted. Seriously. Be plump as a partridge. A little peach. Mm-hmm. Franz Potter, not Harry Potter. Nope. Um Franz Potter, a professor at National University. Who specializes in gothic studies. Where, where were you? Why was that not your major? I don't know. So they say, he says the headless horseman, it was a, a you know, the supernatural entity actually represents a past that never dies, but always haunts the living. So yeah. he went with the more metaphorical The symbolism approach. for like your past can yep. haunt you. And, and never, never leaves. Mm-hmm. So Potter says, quote, the headless horseman supposedly seeks revenge and a head, which he thinks was unfairly taken from him. This injustice demands that he continually search for a substitute. The horseman, like the past, still seeks answers, still seeks retribution, and cannot rest. We are haunted by the past, which stalks us so that we never forget it, end quote. Mm-hmm. Which we love a good, like, metaphorical message as well. Yeah. I could see old T. Swift making a song up. It's like... <laughs> My past is my headless yep. horseman. Yep. Taylor, pa- Taylor, you heard it here first. Oh, We've got a new Ichabod, idea for you. New Ichabod, idea. And I love you. Something I love like it. that. Yep. Number one single right mm-hmm. there. So not surprisingly, interest in the Sleepy Hollow story spikes during the Halloween season. We kind of talked about that already. Yeah. And with that are some added visitors to the village. Wow. Well, uh, we should have gone. And I mean. We still got a week. There's still time. So popular events include horseman's hollow and mm-hmm. irving's legend um they celebrated their 10-year anniversary in 2019 thanks okay. to the popularity among the locals 
Yeah. Nothing like but a they got a spooky tourism. They party. got a new thing that sounds even better. They do. So in 2019, Historic Hudson Valley launched a brand new event called the Sleepy Hollow Experience. Sign me up. It is, quote, an outdoor immersive theatrical experience that is a retelling of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. I imagine you can just dress uh, up like them. Yeah, and, like old period yeah, time costumes. And go to the Van Tassel's party and then go down a haunted trail where he's chasing and you. And people are just throwing pumpkins left and yeah, right at you. and you get whipped by the spine. Ugh. I yeah. just took a dark turn. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any of that, but there's supposedly like music and food and yeah. characters from the scenes and mm-hmm. you can go to the graveyard and stuff. Weird. Not sure about the spine whips, but they probably got them. I'll call them. I'll give them a we call. We should have. We should have had like a pumpkin themed snack break today. We should have, but we I don't. We don't have. But that Hannah food. has something. She wouldn't tell me what I it is. I do have a surprise. Let me tell you this right now. I have a little wax warmer. If you don't know what wax warmers are, it's like scent things. When the mic candles melts. without a flame. Yeah, candles. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I have this scent from oh, yeah. Walter and Rosie uh, Candle Company. If you don't know them, you should. And the scent is Sleepy Hollow. It smells great. Yeah. Very, Very fall. fall. <laughs> it's you and me right that there. Was weird. That was All weird. right. I'm excited about snack break. All right. Let's do it. Is it ahead? Yes. Okay, good. break theodore said theodore, theodore just i stood smell up. that i know he just stood up for the snack break hannah so, did not tell me what the snack is i didn't and I, it's really it's a snack i have at my house mm-hmm. but i i, I want to test a theory here okay <laughs> it's a marketing branding theory okay so it's pro, it's protein bars okay um which at work i don't know about you but yeah. every now and then you know we're on the go. We don't have time to eat mm-hmm. like a full, you know, sit down lunch. So I oftentimes will get little like protein bars or something quick and easy that I can eat at work. I love that. No, girl, I'm going to get my whole lunch break. Um, I I try as, yeah. as best as I can. So I got these. Not going to lie. The branding is probably what got me the packaging. They're beautiful. Okay. Um, I see that. I like the purple and pink. Okay. So all she can see is the colors. But what I'm hiding from her is the flavors. Okay. So on the front, it's two different flavors, and, and, and this is part of what got me. So I want you to take a bite. I've got two different flavors. I want you to take a bite of each and tell me if you can guess what flavor it is. I'm, I'm really good at this, so. Okay, don't look at the front, okay? Yeah. It's it's full of healthy stuff, so um, I want you to see if you can guess what the... Theodore, what do you think it is? Theodore, you can't have this. It's got some chocolate. Apparently, you don't like this, or you wouldn't be giving me a whole. No, I do. I just don't. We'll discuss in a second. Okay. Smell. It's, it's chocolatey. Okay. But like this, it's made of dates. It probably does have dates in it. I don't know about that one. You got a flavor option for me? Mm. Mm. Brownie. Brownie? No. That one's cookie dough. Now, okay. My thing is on the cover, it's got like this beautiful picture of just raw cookie dough. Yeah. No, I think that's kind of... I think I would have gone like with like oh, it has like pea a, powder in it. Yeah, this one does too. Okay, pea protein. Okay, I can taste the cookie dough. Okay, can you? Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, but I do like your brownie. Your brownie argument. Does that fill you up? Um, these actually do. These do. Mm. Some of the other ones don't. All right, don't look at the flavor again. Okay. Got another one for you here. This one's a little different. She's got a little white icing on her this time. Smell test. Any guesses on the flavor? Blueberry. Blueberry. Okay, interesting. 
Ooh, I do not like. Th- I do not enjoy that. You don't like that one. Mm-hmm. You like the first one better. Okay. Mm-mm. Any mm-hmm. guesses on the flavor? <laughs> she just shuddered. <laughs> Birthday cake? No. Look at the front. It's glazed donut. No, thank you. See, and on the front again, it's got <laughs> the the branding got me. It's beautiful branding. Yeah, it is, but that doesn't look. That looks like a a buttered biscuit. Not not a glazed donut flavor, in my opinion. Um, Let's see if Theodore likes it. You think he can have that? I don't know. It didn't have chocolate. Okay. Brown rice. (laughs) Here, here, buddy. It's all healthy stuff. You want to try? Oh, he says. He just very reluctantly took that. Oh, he's trying to spit it out. Okay. No, he likes it. He approved. He He, didn't like it, but. He did. I mean, it's got really good ingredients in it. These are the, um, what's the, what's the I'm glad I brought a Coke Zero in here. It's mm. true bars. No gluten, no dairy, no soy, no sugar alcohols. All delicious. 190 calories, 12 grams of protein. Um, plant-based. This one's got almonds, brown rice, pea protein, cassava. I don't know what that is. But let me ask you this. The other have one you, has cashews, chocolate, pea protein, and cassava. So, Have you ever had an oatmeal cream pie? <laughs> I have. Okay. The ones that have a little bit of yeah. a, what do we say it has mm-hmm. in it? Reed killer? Yeah. Yeah. Round have up. you ever had a unicorn cake? Yes. Those, mm-hmm. there's no need for those when you have. That's true. But these do fill me up a little bit, you know? Yeah. There's, I wouldn't, I couldn't eat that for lunch. I mean, I, I try not to on like a regular basis, but every now and then. In a, in a pinch. When you're in a pinch, you got yeah. to. What do you think, Theodore? Anyway, hey. I wanted to do my little taste test theory with you. He said zero think, out of ten. I think whenever I think people say like, oh, it tastes like donuts or it tastes like cookie dough, I'm like, I need literal. Like, yeah. I need it to actually taste just like that. Yeah. I would also not be a sommelier or whatever those no, I would I'm, I'm horrible at guessing I things. So. Unless it's mustard. Right. Yeah. Which is not. Anyway. There you go. Little, pro, little protein bar for Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for that. Bar. Snack break. It's now time for a spooky story. Some, yeah. And that's what they did in this story. Not surprising. Have you ever heard of the the tale as old as time, the murder of Pearl Bryan? Okay, I've heard of the tale of tale as old as time. I've heard of that, but not of Pearl Bryan. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you it today. The reason we're talking about this specific murder case is because is it a beheading? A or head de- or a lack mm. thereof mm. is involved. Mm-hmm. Decapitation. So, I just, I literally typed in decapitation murders. Lovely. Yeah. And this is one of the ones. No, at first I typed in um, Sleepy Hollow murders. Couldn't find anything. So I did try that. Well, Sleepy Hollow has only been around for like 1996. Technically since 1996. It is also, like I was looking at uh, statistics and it's one of the safest towns in America. Also, you have to be rich to live there. Well, because it's right outside New York. But I digress. So... Pearl Bryan. Pearl Bryan. Love the name Pearl. She was, That's the name of Mr. Crab's daughter on Spongebob. Which, there we which go. We always <laughs> reference either The Office, Harry Potter, or Spongebob yeah, on this. We get bonus It's like points. little nuggets of, uh-huh. of a game there. Yeah. So she was born on October 25th, 1872. Her birthday is in a couple days. In mm. Greencastle, Indiana. She was the 11th of 12 children. Dang. 
and she was born to Alexander and Susan Bryan. Now, Alexander was a successful stock breeder and dairy operator, so the Bryan family in general was very well-to-do and traveled in the most elite social circles of their community. I imagine they're like the Mountain Brook of Alabama type family. Also, pause. Are we recording? Just want to double check because we we got we, we got um, we indeed we are okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I didn't catch that the last time because I'm the one looking at the computer no, no, screen. No, it's fine. I'm just going to double check mm-hmm. in case we mess something up. So Pearl was known in Newcastle for being beautiful and charming, and a newcomer to town, kind of like Katrina Van Tassel. She mm-hmm. was the Katrina Van Tassel of the plump story. Plump as a partridge. She was plump as a partridge, and she was juicy as a peach. A newcomer to town was especially fond of her, and that was 27-year-old aspiring dentist Scott Jackson. Much like Ichabod, Ichabod. new guy coming Mm. to town. Not the schoolmaster, but a dental student. Look at there. I really did something this episode. You didn't even know. So Scott and his mother, Sarah, moved to Greencastle in 1895. After Scott ran into some trouble, he was actually caught embezzling from his college. I don't know how you do that or the ins and outs of that but they found him doing that he was also doing some stuff with prostitutes oh but here we are okay so when he moved to Greencastle, he formed a friendship with a guy named william wood who happened to be pearl's cousin and william introduced the two and the two hit it off they became intimate and pearl became pregnant by the end of the summer mm. so what do you know about pregnancies back then when you weren't married it was not a good thing. It was not looked, uh, it was not, uh, yeah. Not favorably. There you go. But Pearl desperately wanted to marry Scott and have their baby, but Scott said, no thanks. And he was on his way back to college and expressed to Pearl that she, or not expressed, basically told Pearl, you need to have an abortion. Yeah. And I should have looked up like when actual abortions yeah, this seems were. To, this seems early for that to indented. be like a common thing. Yeah. Like a common practice. Right. Well, it's probably called something else, but yeah. So Scott returned to college and Pearl kept her pregnancy a secret. But during that time, Scott wrote letters to William, her cousin, with messages for Pearl. And you might think, oh, these were love letters of, oh, I'm sorry, baby. Take me back. I want you and the baby. Don't leave me. I'm so sorry. Based on the way you're saying that. They were not. These were instead letters that contained recipes meant to induce a miscarriage. So Pearl actually tried these out, but (gasps) she wrote back to him and explained that the methods were not working. Mm. Right. So Pearl was beginning to show when Scott visited for Christmas and he knew something needed to be done quickly. So he asked Pearl to arrange a trip to Cincinnati where he would quote, take care of her Um, and me knowing how the story goes. I don't think that's, I don't think it means what she thought it meant. She heard that and thought, Oh good, finally. And that, yeah, that is not what I think knowing. Like in the scary movies when they're always like, take care of it. Mm -hmm. It's not a good thing. Right. So Pearl believed Scott would marry her in Cincinnati, and she told her family she was going to visit the family friends, some family friends in Indianapolis, but instead she set off for Cincinnati on January 28, 1896, and at that time she was five months pregnant. So Pearl arrives in Cincinnati and immediately went to the Ohio College of Dental Surgery to find Scott, but she wasn't able to find him. They didn't have cell phones back then. I imagine it was probably a big campus. And so she goes back, and checks herself into room 114 at the Indiana House in downtown Cincinnati under her sister's name, Miss Mabel Stanley. Now, I never understood. I never found out why she checked herself in under a different name. But nonetheless, 
She eventually... Maybe because she was pregnant and knew something was... Mrs. Mabel Stanley sounds like her sister was married. Yeah. So maybe she's she, trying to like the hotel off, people. Like, oh, would, I'm, a, I'm a married woman. Yeah. Maybe. So she eventually locates Scott via a, via a messenger and the two made plans to meet. And Scott arrived with his roommate, Alonzo Walling. Scott let Pearl know that he had no plans to marry her, in fact, and that the purpose of him inviting her to Cincinnati was to terminate her pregnancy. So Scott, I just want to remind you that he is a dental school student. He's not even a student a dentist much less a doctor he attempts to perform an abortion yep i knew that's where that was going his first attempt was supposedly done with chemicals specifically cocaine back then cocaine you could go to your pharmacy and your pharmacist would give you cocaine it was used as a medication but after this didn't work he then attempted to use dental tools which also was unsuccessful and left pearl bleeding profusely yeah yeah if you're just jamming stuff around in there and you nick something that's a no-go. Horrible idea. So, <laughs> Theodore came over and sat next to Hannah and put his paw on her foot. That's I cute. Okay. I see you, buddy. At this point, Scott... So, Pearl's bleeding out. Scott calls and hires a driver named George Jackson to drive he, Alonzo, and Pearl south into Kentucky. So, they're getting out of Dodge. And when George arrives, Pearl appears intoxicated because she probably downed a whole bottle of cocaine. And she is unable to speak. And Scott sat with her in the back seat while Alonzo was riding next to George. And George would later say that Pearl groaned in pain for the entire 20-minute trip down into Kentucky. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the men claimed they were physicians, and they were just taking her home. She was a patient. and But George, he sensed something was amiss, and he actually tried to jump out of the carriage. But when he did, supposedly Alonzo stuck a revolver against his neck and said, quote, if you try to jump out of here, I'll send you to hell. excuse me hell straight up guy right here yeah stand up so george continues on with the journey drives across the ohio river and onto the alexandria pike in kentucky where scott told him to stop turn the carriage around and wait he then watched the two physicians uh air air quotes (laughs) dental students drag the woman into the darkness and that's the last time he saw pearl and George is really frightened at this point, so he actually jumps out of the carriage and runs away because this is Kentucky in 1896, and George was African-American, and he knew that him being caught with a dead white woman was not going to end well with oh, him. Oh, yeah, and you know those two physicians mm-hmm. are going to blame, blame it on, blame him. It on yeah. him. So he, he got out. So good, good for, for George. Good for him. So fast forward to February 1st, 1896, a 17-year-old named Johnny Hewling was on his way to Lock Farm in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, where he worked as a farmhand. So he's tracking along, and as he walked, he stumbled over the headless body of a woman. He's terrified. He runs to the farm, to his employer, and they immediately send for the police. So the first officials on the scene were Sheriff John Plummer and County Coroner Tingley. Is that how Ting- you... Tingly. 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 <laughs> Townsfolk flocked into the lock farm because this is kind of like the same thing as a Paris morgue or anything. People didn't have anything to do back then, so they loved morbid, gross stuff. So all the townspeople flocked in to see this. I mean, also, truthfully, it's the same as today. Like, when people see crime tape or when they see blue yeah. lights on the interstate, they all slow down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just go. Right. Kentucky investigators initially thought the woman was a prostitute from Cincinnati, and they called detectives Cal Krim and Jack McDermott, 
who kept track of Cincinnati brothels and the girls who worked them. So they called them in. Neither one of them were, I don't understand this. They weren't able to recognize a woman. She was missing her head. So are you saying that they know these women so well that he just knew their their bodies? I don't their, know. The rest of their bodies? I know a lot of times that like people will be identified by something distinct, like a birthmark or nowadays like a tattoo. Yeah, it could or, be. But, but yeah, I mean, head, mm-hmm. dental records, that's kind of where a lot yeah. of your like identification comes from. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So the woman they found, they found laying on her chest, head down on the slope of a ravine. Her arms were outstretched and her feet rested at the top of the hill in a pool of blood. And Detective Krim located a woman's number eight shoe on top of the bank and a few strands of blonde hair. The woman was found wearing a light blue checkered dress, a dark blue skirt, and a union suit underwear. wonder what that is. Interesting. On her hands were tan-colored gloves, and they found that these had actually been sliced, most likely from grabbing a knife blade, and she also had deep wounds on her hands, so this person put up a fight. Just imagine, because we all know this is Pearl at this point. She's been drugged by cocaine, almost bled out, and she's still fighting for her life. And she's five months pregnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bloodhounds tracked the murderer's scent to a nearby reservoir, and then the police drained that reservoir as well as surrounding ponds. They still were unable to find her head. So Dr. Robert Carruthers performed an autopsy the next Monday, which revealed that the murderer decapitated Pearl with a dissecting knife. Ew. The crime scene was so bloody that the doctor surmised that her heart had still been beating when she was, her, her head was severed, so she was alive when she was decapitated. Ew. He also found that the woman appeared to be five months pregnant. And her fetus was removed and taken to the New York, uh, somewhere in New York for, I guess, I I bet you could still find it these days. I know some of the other artifacts Mm -hmm. from this case, or not artifacts, evidence from this Mm -hmm. case is in a museum up there. So I wonder if her fetus is. So um, sometime before she died, he also could tell that she had ingested a very large quantity of cocaine. He said, quote, I am satisfied that the girl was not outraged. Back then that meant raped. And the man who had a reason to kill her and the result of the postmortem shows it. I judge that it was a premeditated and cold-blooded murder. The girl, in my opinion, was from the country and was comparatively innocent. She was brought to Cincinnati to submit to a criminal operation. Once here, she was taken to Fort Thomas and murdered. Her head was taken away, horrible as it may seem, merely to prevent the identification of her body. I mean, this they that was a pretty easy case. Like, they knew yeah. exactly what happened. Yeah. Because that's... Yeah, but except they think this she's a prostitute. So. Uh, but like came from the country, mm-hmm. like brought here to have a, a criminal operation. I mean, they it's pretty clear. Yeah. So with the absence of a head, identifying the murdered woman seemed very daunting. It, it's even daunting today. It would be even right. with DNA and everything. Back right. then they had nothing. Newspapers released her description, including a description of the items found near her body. And although it seemed like a long shot, they also released this label inside of her shoe. And that label was just some numbers. The numbers were 22-11-62458. So they they get a a little sliver of luck because a Newport, Kentucky shoe merchant named Louis Louis Pook, Puck, P-O-O-C-K. How do you think you say that? (laughs) Pookie. Uh, saw the shoes and knew that a cobbler in Portsmouth, Ohio, manufactured them. And the manufacturer sold all 12 pairs they made to a salesman in 
Green Castle, Indiana, which is what where a stroke Pearl of, is from. What a stroke of luck, though, yeah. that a shoe merchant mm-hmm. connected it to a cobbler, connected it to a manufacturer, connected yep. it to a salesman. Mm-hmm. On it's, Febu- a of, it's a lot of digging. Right. On February 3rd, Detectives Krim, McDermott, and Sheriff Plummer left for Green Castle, and they brought the clothing and identifiable shoes of the victim. The officers learned that the salesman sold eight of the 12 pairs purchased, and they traced each of the buyers and found the owners of the first eight pairs alive and well. But they get to the owner of the ninth pair, and they find that that was Pearl Bryant. So they linked her shoes back to her body. That's how they figured it out. Pearl's parents explained that she was visiting Indianapolis, because remember, that's what she had told them. Mm Mm-hmm. And officers began questioning Pearl's friends and learned about her association with Scott Jackson in Cincinnati. The police then showed the clothing to Pearl's parents, which they recognized as belonging to their daughter, and a warrant was issued immediately for Scott's arrest. On February 5th, 1896, police arrested Scott at the boarding home, which he shared, and then they arrested Alonzo the next day. Coroner Tingley held an inquest on February 12th to tell the jury his findings. He told them that Pearl had cocaine in her system, that she was last seen alive with Scott and Alonzo, and she was still alive when the beheading occurred. And Alonzo and Scott were then indicted for the murder. So in the meantime, Pearl's family drove down to Kentucky to retrieve her body for burial. And with the help of the police, they did search extensively for her head so she could be buried in one piece. But they were unable. So at Yikes. her so at her funeral, Scott and Alonzo were both allowed to come because it was kind of what? a tactic they were going to try to see if them standing in front of the body and looking at what they had done, uh, would, they would it would tell where the head yeah, is. Maybe they might be a little more empathetic, sympathetic, and tell them where the head was. And Mabel, I feel like, I feel like that's not going to work for these it guys. Did, it did not. Okay, yeah. Mabel Stanley, Pearl's sister, was quoted as saying. I ask you, Scott Jackson, to tell me what you have done with poor, poor Pearl's head, to which Scott Jackson did not answer. So Mabel went on to say, for the love of heaven, tell me what you have done with poor baby's head. Think of her mother, if nothing else. I am going to her tonight, and I want to tell her where her baby's head is. To which Jackson finally responded, I can't tell you anything about it. So he is a heartless SOB. Mm-hmm. Alonzo and Scott were less than cooperative with the investigation. At first, they tried to alibi themselves. That didn't work. So then they turned on each other, and they each accused each other. Not surprising. Yeah, of killing Pearl during an attempted abortion, and they both said that they had used dental tools to do said abortion. So the trial finally began in the year of 1897, and the defense put forth a story. I'm sure this is good. They said that after the botched abortion in Cincinnati, Pearl was in great pain. So Scott and Alonzo, you know, they were just going to help her out. Mm-hmm. And they attempted to sedate her with chloroform, but instead of putting her under, they accidentally killed her. Mm. Which to that I say, again, you wouldn't have been a great dentist. Because no. I'm sure you had to put a little no. chloroform on people back no. then to do teeth stuff. And then what, what are they trying to say about her head? Right. So, right, like, uh, yeah. So like, they said they brought Pearl's corpse to Kentucky, where they severed her head to conceal her identity. Oh. And they didn't think any witnesses would come forward to contest this version of their story. However, old George, George Jackson, oh. the carriage driver, he was able to pick the two men he drove that night out of a lineup, and he identified Scott and Alonzo immediately. Good for him. Also, there was a witness named Alan Johnson, who was a bartender who witnessed Scott's 
slip a powdered substance into Pearl's drink while they were at his saloon. Okay, but also, thanks for coming forward now, Alan Johnson. Right. But why didn't you make her another drink? And she say, hey, hey, Pearl. Hey, Pearl, why don't you come you gotta, over you here and drink this water instead? Yeah. In the absence of a full confession, the jury made their conviction. Alonzo Walling and Scott Jackson were found guilty of murder, and the judge handed down the sentence, which would be that the two men would be hung for their crime. I kind of feel like they should have been like, guillotined, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. Cut your head off. You with cut your head off. With a dissecting knife. With a, yeah, with a dental tool. As for her head, the men claimed that they threw it in the Ohio River or buried it in a sandbar. Immediately after the killing, the Alonzo, I mean, excuse me, Alonzo and Scott went back to the bar carrying Pearl's leather valise, which was a purse, and they asked the barkeep to hang on to it for them. And he said, the, the bartender said that whatever was in that bag was heavy and round and reminded him of a bowling ball. So Scott retrieved the bag the next day. I'm not sure why he would leave a you don't think that that guy's gonna be like what is in here and take also, a little also, peek what's what sweet bartender is like yeah let me hang on to your bags for you right but he so he comes back to get the bag the next day but to give it to a different saloon keeper named mr kugel and told him to give it away so kugel opened the valise and found it stained with blood and when the trial was underway kugel brought the bag to police chief who showed it to scott and scott said yes that is pearl Bryan's valise and he then rolled his eyes and wrung his hands. And when the police chief asked if Pearl's head was ever in that bag, he answered, I suppose it was, I guess. What? This this bag is now in a museum up there, if you ah, ever want to go look at it. Interesting. So, so what happened after all of this? Scott and Alonzo were executed for the murder, murder of Pearl Bryan on March 20th, 1897. These were the last hangings actually ever performed in this specific county in Kentucky. Interesting. Their necks were not broken when they got hung, so they died by suffocating hmm. to death. So that's a longer, obviously more drawn-out process. Hmm. The location of Pearl's head is still a mystery. And Alonzo and Scott were dental students who practiced on cadavers, so it is surmised by some people that they could have sold the head to the college campus. Oh, yeah. They were like, you know, those the grave robbers yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Or they could have burned it in the school's cream, cream, not crematorium, but, you know, they had mm -hmm. a furnace. So Interesting. It, so it is tradition to leave penny pennies on Pearl's tombstone, heads up mm -hmm. only. You know what I mean? Heads mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. People also go by and kind of chip pieces off her tombstone as souvenirs, so much so that her creepy. family has had to replace her tombstone. Uh, yeah, that kind of makes me sad. So she also has become the... Pearl Bryan is a legend, and mm -hmm. ballads have been written in her honor. And I, would you like me to read you just a little, oh, a little segment of the the Pearl Bryan ballad? Sure. So I guess so. She's kind of legend, like like the legend of Sleepy Hollow. That yeah. one got told, turned into a story that gets retold mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Hers gets retold into a song. Yeah. Here's there's multiple songs. This is known as the Ballad of Pearl Bryan. Oh gosh. Down in a lonely valley where the fairest flowers bloom, there's where Pearl Bryan lies moldering in her tomb. And it says in parentheses, this is the chorus. While the banners waved around her, the shrill was a mournful sound. A stranger came and found her, cold headless on the ground. She not, died not brokenhearted, nor by disease she fell, but in a moment's parting from the one she loved so well. And, and then it goes on. It even names their the uh, killer's killer. names. So, oh. 
there's also a song by Bra- a guy named Bradley Kincaid. It's just called Pearl Bryan. So she inspired a lot of people. She was a beauty. Who, who knew? Pearl Bryan also became part of the satanic panic of the 1980s and 1990s when rumors flew that Alonzo used her head to worship the devil at what is now known as Bobby Mackey's in Wilder, Kentucky. I've watched a lot of ghost shows. Bobby Mackey's is always on the top of the list. We need to do a whole episode on Bobby Bobby. Mackey. Yeah, we can. Um, So her supposed haunting of Bobby Mackey's continues to attract ghost hunters worldwide like i said if you didn't know it's considered one of the most haunted places in the world and it's said that scott discarded pearl's head in the well in the basement of bobby Mackey. so i think that what that guy on ghost hunters um Mm -hmm. the main host it's like one of the only places he said he'll never step back in really yeah all right we need to do a whole episode on bobby Mackey. yeah but that's the murder of pearl Bryan, and we still don't we don't Don't know where where the headless horseman's head is don't know where Pearl Bryan's head is. And we don't is. know where Pearl Bryan's head is. So if anybody knows out there where, where heads are just hanging out looking for I their did, owners. I did see in know. Kentucky anytime like a head's found like a fault, you know, kind of like a, not a fossil, but mm-hmm. old remains when they're digging up stuff. Everybody always like Pearl Bryan. This is Pearl Bryan right here. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Or it could so, be uh, the headless horseman. Could be. You never know. But anyway, we hope you enjoyed this spooky months episodes we had uh what did we talk about last week the sandman and now sandman. the legend of sleepy hollow you can follow us on instagram at scary tales podcast and who knows what the stories will bring you in november bobby mackey is gonna man, he's yeah on the list pretty soon let us know on instagram if you want us to bring you the story of bobby mackey's yeah, you lived in Kentucky. You could have been to Bobby Mackey's. You I know. I actually, like, I'm remembering now. I taught a, um, I taught a mythology class there, and we did, like, a legends and folklore unit mm-hmm. and talked about some, like, supernatural mythology stuff that's related to it. And I am 99% sure that Bobby Mackey was on that list because we did, like, local legends. Yeah, it had We to talked be. about, like, Greek mythology and, like, all Greek, Roman, Norse, all the big, like, world mythologies. And then we mm-hmm. tried to bring it all the way down to, like, local, quote-unquote, myths or yeah. legends. Bobby Mackey's definitely had to be I on know, there. I know. Now I'm trying to think if Pearl Bryan was on there. If Probably they talked about, was. I need to go back and look at my notes. I need to go back and look at my notes on that. And I need to go back and look at my um, essay comparing the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the original Ichabod, to the Johnny Depp Ichabod. Yep. Theodore, what do you think about me naming, changing your name to Ichabod? He, lo- he could be an Ichabod. Yeah. He all could. Right. He said, thanks for thanks for sticking around, guys. I'm going to go chew on my crab, and we'll catch you on the flippity-flop. Hey, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.